Hi, this is Pam and this is Must Love Food. Thanks for joining me today. I have a full house. I've got Maddie, Teresa, Robin, and John, and we are here to walk through our fall issue that hopefully has already hit your mailboxes. And it's our issue number 148, our fall 2021 um, fall issue. So um, welcome you all um, team here, cuisine team, and anyone listening. This was a fun issue full of comfort food. You know, as the weather's turning, everybody's starting to think about soups and stews and chilies. And uh, I think hopefully we have something here for everyone. We even have some great kind of Indian summer um, tomato dishes too that I'll just give a little preview to. So anyway, hi all. Hello. Hi there. Hello. <laughs> we will uh, just kind of mosey on along. So as I said, it's our comfort issue, our fall issue number 148. And for our Let's Get Social page, I'm just going to give a shout out here. So um, we have been getting people uh, finally, after we've been doing this for a while, uh, starting to post some their uh, favorites or um, kind of responding to what our queries are on the social page. And this one is about, are you team apple? Are you team pumpkin? And um, I'll, without having to read it all, I'll tell you I'm both. I love... Um, pumpkin pie. I like the texture. Some people don't like that at all. Love a good flaky crust. Love a really good, not sweet whipped cream on it. Um, but I love pumpkin and like raviolis and all that. I like a, not a sweet soup. Um, but I love apple everything too. So, and then I know each of you has your favorites. And if you want to share them now or not, people can just read about them. I was definitely team apple. You know what? <laughs> Growing up, that I like wouldn't even touch a pumpkin pie. I thought that was like just not appealing to me at all. But now that I'm getting older, now I'm okay with it. I mean, even apples, like warm apples, kind of creeped me out when mm. I was younger, and now I love an apple pie. So, <laughs> but my favorite is definitely apples and peanut butter. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that is good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, I'm team apple too. Uh, I don't. I've never really cared for pumpkin pie and it's still not my thing but pumpkin I do like my mom made the best pumpkin bread so oh. I'm not against pumpkin bread or pumpkin per se I just am not a pumpkin pie girl and I, I, I like pie now I didn't appreciate it growing up although I should have because I was surrounded by wonderful pie makers um, but uh, apple is my go-to pumpkin I do like um, so I'm both I guess just as long well, as it's pie uh, I'm with you on the pumpkin bread, too. I forgot about that. We had a family friend. She's my second mom. She made pumpkin bread every Thanksgiving. She would deliver it to all the neighbors. And, oh, my gosh, so good, so good. Um, yeah. Um, and I'm not pumpkin spice. I'm not I'm not really a pumpkin spice person. But, um, yeah. Yeah, and I think I'm, in a lot of ways they ruined uh, pumpkin. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pumpkin pie spice. We have a, a, a family story um, that circulated. My parents had a good friend from college, and he had a uh, an English uh, British war bride that he brought back to the states. And it approached Thanksgiving, and she had been told she has to make a pumpkin pie. And I think you know, back in the fifties, I don't know if they were making pumpkin pie mix so much as pureed pumpkin, but. She followed whatever direction she had, and she uh, apparently 
didn't know that it was supposed to have sugar. And, oh. <laughs> so she thought this thing is dreadful. It's just absolutely <laughs> awful. So she thought, well, I'll throw some canned peaches in it. So <laughs> interesting combo. Yeah. <laughs> well, it might have improved it. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking well, the same, certainly maybe. what she had going, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and Teresa? Well, I was going to say I'm team pumpkin, even though I don't like pumpkin pie, the traditional pumpkin pie, and my entire family doesn't like the traditional pumpkin pie, but we got around it by uh, coming up with a pumpkin mousse pie. So mm. there's like there's like half pumpkin mousse and definitely half uh, whipped cream. <laughs> and, <laughs> so and then it, it has a graham cracker crust on it. But I also love um, pumpkin cake roll. So mm. a little cream cheese in the middle of that. Oh, yeah, that pumpkin is one. Cake, yeah. Well, if you like pumpkin mousse cake, then I'm going to guess that you are a big fan of the grand finale, which we will talk about later. Definitely. <laughs> Especially because of the other ingredient. Yes. Yeah. With it. Uh huh. Well, and I should also mention too, Robin, you said that you grew up and you didn't care for pie and you grew up around a lot of uh, uh, excellent pie makers. You are an excellent pie maker. And so I find that kind of funny that you didn't like pie because you're so good at making pies. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. No, I would eat the uh, filling if I, you know, I would do that. <laughs> wouldn't touch that back crust. Are you kidding? That would be like, oh. And <laughs> Well, that's really good. So <laughs> I think of all the pie I wasted in my youth. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Now the first thing you go for is like the crust. Yep. Yeah, it is. That's hard. <laughs> oh, all right. Let's move into our tip land. Is there anything, Robin, that you think is of note here to? Um, well, you um, know, I was thinking about the tips and. You know, it struck me. So many of these tips, you think, well, goodness, why didn't I think of that? It's kind uh -huh. of a, like, well, shoot, that's simple. Like the hash browns on top of a cottage pie instead of uh -huh. mashed. Well, that was kind of like, well, duh, of course that's going to be good. And it was, it was delicious. And uh, so a lot of our tips that come in, I think, well, yeah, that's a good one. And I should have thought of that. And then there's something like the one where the lady uses the... Uh, you know, the liquid left in the jar of the red uh -huh. rose peppers. I'm like, oh, well, I never thought of that. And it made a delicious soup. So we really get the gamut. It, you know, it runs the gamut uh, of what comes in from things that are, oh, yeah, um, that's a that's an idea I, of course, should have thought of, too. I never would have thought of that. And then we also get the ones that come in. And I'm like, well, yeah, doesn't everyone know that? But I know Maddie and I have talked about that before, and I when I'll, I'll run them past her and say, "Okay, well, you and I know this tip, but does everybody? Because we have had that experience where you know where you spray the inside of your measuring cup before you measure peanut butter right. or sticky, and to us it's kind of like, well, yeah, of course you do that. But we were at a an event one time where that was shared, and other people just went gaga over that. And so it brings it home that just because we know it, not everybody knows it. So we sometimes will run those back and forth between us. Like, is this a, 
Is this a, a good tip? Because, worthy. <laughs> you know, is it something that everybody knows or is it just that we know it, we think everybody knows it? So we could all, you know, I would just encourage people, if you've got a tip out there, send it in. Um, well, just, and I think, I mean, it's our it's our field. So we, we do know a lot more tips and tricks than other people do. Plus, you're getting all of the tips in from readers. So you read and see a lot. Um, but, you know, I think it's like a lot of things. I think that um, what do they say? The, when the student is ready, the sage will appear. And so you can hear something many times, read something many times and read right over it. And it's the hundredth time that all of a sudden you probably have read it or seen it. And all of a sudden it's like, aha, I didn't realize that. Or it finally clicks. So yeah, I think, um, and it might seem obvious, but not always. Indeed. And the, and some of the simple things that people send in, you're like, well, my word, of course that, that makes or I never would have thought of that, you know, uh, the one with the grilled cheese sandwiches. And so she sets them upright, cuts them, sure. and sets them like, well, so they don't get soggy if somebody is running a little late to the table. I'm like, would have thought of that one either, but not gone if well, it doesn't work well. <laughs> well, I will, I'll say too, you know, you mentioned the soup in the jar um, kind of thing. She added, well, I think one of the things John did once before in a recipe was um, where he brined with pickle liquid which you don't, you, a lot of people will toss that. And he used that as a brine to brine um, chicken and maybe fish, I don't remember. Um, so that's yeah. something people can do. But I will tell you, two, my kind of the two that I thought were interesting were the baked rice where she uses it. Um, for the pie to, crust? For the pie crust. And then it's toasted and then she yeah. cooks that. And so it adds another depth of flavor. And I also thought that giving the squeeze for the zucchini, which is hard to, so if you don't want to go the um, the route of paper towels and towels using a ricer, or maybe you start with the ricer to get the real heavy and then you move to something like that. I mean, I thought that was kind of a unique, clever. Those were the two that sort of stuck out for me. Um, but uh, yeah, as you say, I think, um, no tip is a bad tip. We we consider them all. So keep sending them in. We and another thing to keep in mind too. Like I know a lot of people like submit tips and you know they don't show up. But we have been doing tips for so long that a lot of them we've already printed before, sure. maybe years I, ago. Yeah. Like right. my cousin who you know sent me a you know a video of her like I've you know shredded chicken with my. Um, mixer and we all and when I was like oh that's hilarious because she sent a video of actually doing it because I know me Robin and Haley always chatted about that one being so silly but it works it works and so many people do that exactly thing and so and then again when we get a lot of tips in you know we only print nine in an issue and so oh my goodness sometimes the backlog um is there and so it may be a, a really great tip and it doesn't right. fit. It also has to fit the season and yeah. and how, how recently did we publish it or how unique is it and how universal it is. I mean, there's a lot of things to consider. It, there there yeah. really are. I, I would encourage people to send in your tips, but please don't get discouraged if it doesn't show up. Um, please don't. Please keep right. sending. Yeah. Well, and, and don't get angry or put off by uh, a tip that we may have run that you may have submitted, but somebody got there first. Sure. Exactly. That person stole my tip or whatever. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So there's a, and, there's... and another thing, somehow we have to dispel the notion that uh, 
we uh, uh, have international currency markets uh, at our beck and call because we had actually three decent tips come in this morning. Uh-huh. One from Singapore, one from Vietnam, and one from New South Wales, Australia. I know. And it's like, uh, we can't use them because we can't pay out. I mean, we just right. don't have the facilities right. for it. But somehow <laughs> on the great World Wide Web, we're, we have a presence for... <laughs> I know, which is nice. Tips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have a Cuisine First. I believe it's a Cuisine First for this issue. We printed a reader recipe in our tips section for right. pesto, and it's very good. So I'm I'm happy to see that. That's right. We did. We, that is, I think, a, a cuisine first. I don't believe we've ever done that before. So she said tip and her recipe. So we, we put them together. Yay. Um, I actually have to say that I made a huge amount of pesto because I've had a bumper crop of uh, basil and I actually had to use this tip. So all right. <laughs> using it in the, in the ice cream tray. So. You're walking the walk or walking the talk, yep. whatever it is. Walking walk the walk. So. <laughs> Um, I'm going to, uh, mosey on into the, in the now, John, and, uh, the one, there are two here for me that really got me interested. Um, I mean, they're all interesting, but, um, the BLK and bold, uh, this is a local Des Moines based national based, um, coffee roasting company. They do coffee and tea, which I did not realize until you, uh, put that in here, John. And, and, um, uh, they are, um, I tried to get them actually as guests on the podcast. I reached out to them last year and was not able to connect, but they've gotten a lot of press and they, um, their, their roasts are delicious. And one of the things that I really like is that 5% of the profits, uh, of their profits go to fight for social justice and at risk youth. Um, so that was one that, um, I'm happy that we, um, called out and the smart bandages. I just think that is a really great thing. I mean, um, it was funny because when our proofreader read the issue, she made a comment, something to the effect of, I don't understand how this is cooking related. And, (laughs) uh, and so she had, she had recommended a little tweak on the copy or something. And we might've massaged it just a little, but it was very, it was very, um, you, you work with your hands in the kitchen and um, whether you've nicked your finger while you're cutting, while you're chopping something, or you came in with a cut and you have a bandage on your hands are going to be in um, uh, water often for doing dishes or as you clean, if you're trying to not cross contaminate all of these kind of things. And so, um, and bandages fall off all the time, but, and this one tells Probably you, not in the food, but. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so anyhow, um, I thought this was a great product. Um, I will say, you have to go to the website. I don't know if so it's retail available, but you can okay. definitely go to the website, so. Sure, sure. Um, but I, I thought it was a great idea, and, and just strictly for that idea, that reason, that uh, those bandages are constantly. Right. A hot mess. Back in the day, I mean, when I was a line cook, I'd be throwing things into a hot oven, and my arms uh-huh. up and down were had little tiny b- burns on them from touching the top of the oven. So sure, oh yeah. 
You know, I really enjoyed the partake beverages because I'm a fan of IPAs and I know not everyone is, but they had quite the wide variety. And I think it tastes just like an IPA and it's non-alcoholic. And I thought that was a great kind of additive, especially for something if you're, you're at a gathering or at a tailgate and you're just not, you know, wanting to drink, but you know, you still, it's nice to have something in hand and feeling like you're partaking. <laughs> but, yeah, non-alcoholic cool. beers have come a long way. But this guy came from the craft um, beer industry, is that right? Who, yeah, okay. Correct. Very cool. Um, well, and, you know, just to round things out, because we have one left, the um, plant-based milks. I mean, I try to, to um, eat as much plant-based as I can, and I try not to eat a lot of dairy. Um, I have bought some cheese at the farmer's market that I'm kind of making my way through. But um, uh, like in my coffee, I use a uh, plant-based, and the variety that they have, I think, is pretty amazing um, in the yeah. line. And plus um, the I, fact I, that they're shelf-stable is, is a right. real plus. Yeah. yeah, they don't take up. Um, I had done the, the soy for coffee, uh -huh. actual one of their plant-based and it, it does it works just like a creamer it froths up beautifully yep. it tastes great it doesn't you're not going oh this is right. vegetable milk you know so no it worked well, really well that's one of the things for me is sort of a determining factor on a plant-based beverage is that the kind of the viscosity i like a creamer especially for coffee i like something not too watery and that's one of the reasons why i didn't ever care really for skim milk and coffee i wanted something thicker but i look for a plant-based um, creamer that has some thickness to it and that's as you said they hit the mark on that all right, let's move into, I gave a little hint on this before. So we are in sort of a bridge season. Everybody's crops of tomatoes are kind of coming in right now. And so uh, we looked at heirloom tomatoes. And John, um, I love that you really uh, made an effort to uh, make the tomatoes shine in all these recipes. So sort of like the adage of, of Italian cookies, simplicity. Not a lot of ingredients, use good ingredients, but just keep it simple and uh, let the, the tomato shine. And um, you uh, you wanna share anything about the recipes or the article? Well, to, to that end, I think uh, the thing to remember and, it, and I put it in the article itself is that um, to make these tomatoes shine, you don't wanna cook them out. You don't wanna, you know, ruin those sh sugars or make them too soft or mushy sure, or anything. So sure. these are just barely cooked if they're cooked at all. And um, I think that's so it can profile the tomatoes. And really, right now, it's just screaming. There, I, there's way more uh, tomatoes than you're seeing even in this image that are oh, out yeah. available right now when you go to the store or farmer's market. So, Well, with everybody, ha and there's so many tomatoes out there, I think people are looking for more ways to use them. And so I think you've given them three, um, a, just a nice cherry tomato salad with some classic Air, um, classic hummus, roasted tomatoes stuffed with late summer succotash, and Parmesan tomatoes. My mom used to make Parmesan tomatoes, and I love them. I really do. But the succotash, and that image is so pretty, which is actually our back cover um, image, um, with a great quote from um, Jose Andreas, who, um, right. a chef who I admire. I think his team is, well, they're all over the place helping people in crises um, all over the world. But anyway, that is a beautiful image and a great recipe. Do you have a favorite amongst them, John? 
in terms of I recipes? think mine is the same as yours, the Parmesan tomatoes. Mm -hmm. so yeah. That um, the, the cheese works really well. It's crispy and it's got mm -hmm. a lot of uh, flavor from the herbs. Yep. And they're herbs that work well with tomatoes. So Sure. Yeah, my countertop is flowing with tomatoes right now. <laughs> Mine are just about all played out. So Really? Yeah, well, my, my plant had a nutritional deficiency. Oh. Well, you know, we've got eight tomato plants this year. <laughs> I, I had that problem last year. And, uh, it, it, yeah. It wasn't, it's not the, what is it, magnesium? What is it? Calcium. Calcium. It wasn't that this year, so it okay. was actually a different mineral that it was bereft of. Okay. So the, the plant went down quickly. It's Ooh. starting to regenerate, but uh, anyhow, I planted uh, Big Boy and Celebrity this year, so. That's what we like to do, too. Well, I was the lucky recipient to be invited for BLTs on Saturday and um, from homegrown tomatoes, and they were delicious. So that's a, I'm sure everybody's got that on their menu these days, but um, add one of these or all of these in um, these recipes, and I nobody will be disappointed. And if exactly. you get a chance, there's nothing better than a sunworm tomato. I mean, yes. It's so good, so flavorful. Well, we used to, we grew up eating just tomato sandwiches without the mm -hmm. L and without the T, just strictly right. tomato and mayo with salt and pepper right. on white bread. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I like tomato and cucumber too. Oh, yum. Oh, I know what we had the other day. She didn't have any T, so we, uh, no, she didn't have any L, uh, so we had basil in mm -hmm. place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've Which, done that. I too, love that. Yeah. yeah. I kind of like it better than lettuce. I do too. I exactly. I said that to my uh, another friend who I said, yeah, I went and had BLTs last night. And I said, but there was, there was no lettuce. And so um, homegrown basil made the sub and she was like, oh, how is that? And I'm like, delicious. It's, I said, I've had it before. It's actually, I think my preferred way to eat it, especially when you get those big leaves and you can load yeah. it up a little. Yeah. Yeah. All right, now we're getting into fall a little bit more. Comfort me with soup. We have a roasted red pepper soup with cheese toast. Oh my, just want to dive into that. Italian sausage bread soup with egg and lentil soup with burrata and basil. So two of them, I believe, yes, are vegetarian. They can't, they don't have to be because you can make them with um, veg broth or chicken broth. So if you you know, you don't want to do that. But the um, roasted red pepper soup with cheese toast is not only a gorgeous image, because it really is. It's an easy and wonderful soup, but it's sort of like in the vein of like, I should say, a la French onion soup, where you've got the cheesy, toasty thing on the top and floats in the bowl. So I always kind of let that soften. And then I start to dig, cut into it as I dig into my soup. So I get a little bit of soup on the bread piece with the cheese and uh, a little crouton. So with a little crouton. <laughs> you got it. Big old crouton. And then the Italian sausage bread soup with the egg. That mm. one's the one that I love. It's sort of the cross between the Italian sausage soup and an egg drop soup. There's a name for an Italian. I can't think of what it is, but there is an Italian egg. Um, stracciatelli, is that it? I was going to say. Yeah. I think, right? Yeah. Yep. And it's a, that's, a, again, a beautiful image. And that has croutons on it. And the um, lentil soup with burrata and basil. I just wanted to mention on this one. We did say you can use purchased pesto, which is, or make your own. I mean, use the recipe from the front of the, the book um, and use that pesto if you don't want to put sliced basil. But you can also use a burrata ball or um, shredded mozzarella. We tried it both ways. The shredded mozz sort of 
doesn't sort of melt into the soup and it gets a little sort of stringier. The burrata, because it's creamy inside, just is a lovely texture and melts into the soup and it sort of turns it into sort of a creamy lentil soup. We tested it with using a whole ball of burrata on it and it was just way too much. And for us, just quartering one was perfect. I don't know if anybody has anything they'd like to add or say. I enjoyed all three of them. And I, you know, I was a little skeptical of, cause I'm not a big fan of egg drop soup. So that's okay. all I could picture with the sausage, <laughs> but it ended sure. up being probably, you know, one of my favorites. So that one was yeah. very tasty. And now let's get into our test kitchen favorite. It's a favorite of everybody pizza. And John, you did um, outstanding here. I think with Detroit style, I think you, uh, oh yeah. I like the way you wrote this too. Uh, three pizzas feature here represent why pizza is one of cuisine team's favorites. Detroit style keeps us on trend. Yes. Roasted potato and gruyere appeals to our gourmet palate. And the time and friendly pizza casserole is simply ooey gooey satisfaction. Yeah. So there really is something here for everyone. For me, it, the Detroit style pizza probably was my fave. It's, I think it is the capicola that really does it for me. Um, and I love, I also love the rosemary potato pizza with Gruyere. Um, those were my two go-tos, but really the, the capicola was, oh my God, or gabagol, I think is, if I was on the East coast, I think that's what I would say. Yeah. Um, plus you have an Alfredo sauce, so what's not to love? (laughs) Yeah. So how's that? Yeah. I learned that a long time ago in a pizza contest that the Wisconsin milk marketing board had promoted. And, uh, that was one of the entries was, was a pizza similar to this i should say okay i would never have thought of putting potatoes on a pizza so sure and it's surprising how well it works so. yum so good i think everyone yeah, showed up in the photo studio that day <laughs> oh gosh we did <laughs> yeah are you eating that are you taking that is that for good, good. Apple good. <laughs> yeah i believe it was all gone <laughs> do we have to shoot a cover <laughs> uh our favorites okay uh moving into cuisine for two maddie this this was a fun article for you uh well really for your husband i think (laughs) yeah definitely i mean this article made us get an air fryer so (laughs) we were definitely convinced Uh, it all started because we had chatted about um you know should we get an air fryer or shouldn't we And so we have an old one in the test kitchen and I took that home and I'm like, okay, let's try some things, you know, obviously tried all the, uh, like all the go-tos, like, you know, the fried stuff, the fries, the, um, mozzarella sticks, onion rings and, um, chicken tenders. Yes. And so the one thing is that like one of Shane's favorite meals is chicken wings. And so, you know, fried chicken wings. So for something like, chicken wings and the air fryer to be pretty darn close to fried was like a win. And we didn't have to, you know, no oil, no nothing. Cleanup is way easier. Uh, So that was definitely, um, he was glad to be my taste tester for this article. (laughs) Well, and I love that you did the two sauces too. You did sort of the, the expected hot sauce, but then the sort of elegant Parmesan sauce. I know. And and it was fun to have them both just Mm -hmm. because it's kind of like you eat, like, the hot was not too hot. So if anyone's thinking it's like going to burn your mouth, like screaming Buffalo, it's very mild, but still has the kick. 
So it was nice if you had one of those to eat a Parmesan and then go back and forth. Uh -huh. It was, you know, I and loved you, them both. And if you want it hotter, add more. Exactly. <laughs> Hot sauce. Yeah. Uh, but so then after that, once we found out the air fryer, and this is all for two. And so that's the other nice thing, kind of like, because um, depending on your air fryer, it's not, you know, some are smaller than others. So you may have to do it in batches or not. So um, I think it was nice to have an option to do smaller portions in there, um, just because, you know, it does make a quick dinner for, you know, any night of the week. Um, but we also did some air fried chicken and some air fried chicken fried steak, which, yes, it's not quite chicken, but it's in the it name. Works. So it works. <laughs> and, well, and I uh, think people are curious about whether you can do battered food in an air fryer. So I think that was a good solution. So. Mm -hmm. Totally. Well, plus you had ranch gravy on that. Which, yeah. Well, can you ever go wrong <laughs> with that? <laughs> One thing I did uh, notice is if you are doing kind of floury things in your air fryer, you do want to give it kind of a quick spray with a nonstick spray just so it gets rid of that flour taste. Um, oh. I mean, I've tried it without it and I've noticed it does make a key, you know, a big difference. So when it Thank comes you. to even flipping it, you spray it as well. Just get your flour bits. If there's still some spots that look floury, give it another coat and... Thank you for explaining that because I did wonder, I noticed in two of your recipes, you coat the food with nonstick spray before mm -hmm. cooking and the other one you didn't. And I wasn't really piecing it together with the coating thing. So that's okay. Well, that's great to know. Exactly. Good tip. I found that great. tip because um, the chicken fried steak, uh, I did it without doing that and it was kind of like, that's ah, fine. But then just simply spraying it and helping to get that, you know, the, you know, moisture in there to kind of help it cook fat, you know, a little cook that flour off made a world of a difference. But like the chicken wings, they're pretty fatty and greasy. They don't need any help to crisp up on their own. Your first instinct is to do exactly what you did. And I did the same thing when I brought home this air fryer is to go out and get all those fried things and in, in the freezer section. But after you've had a few of those, you go, these are still, they all taste sort of processed. So it, it's great to have some home cooking done in uh, the air fryer. Absolutely. Well, and it's, a, it's an appliance that so many people have or like. I think a lot of people are kind of gravitating to that over Instant Pot or Slow Cooker these days. Or I'm sure you have camps of, of all of them, who what yeah. your diehard is. And also um, there are some people who have all three. <laughs> Uh, well, but yeah, making multi-cookers that do everything. So. Right. Yeah, my niece and my sister-in-law are both advocates and big lovers of the air fryer. One of the things is that I'm like, we got to make sure we want this because if we're right. going to invest this much space for this thing, it's got to be worth yeah. it. And yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, as you said, I mean, you're you're taking a healthier approach, a more nutritious approach because you are using less oil. I mean, I think what I had read is it's, it's sort of like convection cooking, isn't it? Very much so. Right. Um, well, speaking of healthy, we have a couple of vegetarian, um, actually vegan, pasta dishes. And the stick with them was that we were using bean pasta. You go to, I think we had looked at bean pastas in our In the Now in the past. 
and um, they are all over the place in stores now. A lot of people are um, going away from regular white pasta. They might be going to a, a rice or a whole wheat pasta or something just for maybe a little bit more um, fiber or um, nutritional value. But the other alternatives are um, bean pastas and the like. And so we used a, a chickpea pasta and a uh, red lentil pasta. And I know last year during COVID, when we're really on lockdown, I was craving pasta and I hadn't eaten really pasta a lot. And so I was at Trader Joe's and just loaded up on a bunch of alternative pastas. One of them would be in a red lentil, they have black bean. There's, there's a lot of different ones, but they um, have good texture and, um, uh, and good taste. And they do bring more nutritional um, oomph to your meal. And so we did a vegan mac and cheese, um, kind of an interesting, um, you got some shredded onion and potatoes in there to, to kind of bulk up your sauce and thicken it and such. Um, some carrot and garlic and all that kind of stuff. Some flavoring with chili powder and turmeric to kind of give it more yellow, cayenne. Um, but nutritional yeast makes a way into um, the dish again, um, which is very classic and um, kind of a cheesy sauce for, um, for a vegan cheese sauce. Um, and, um, oh yeah, of course, cashews. That's really what, um, a vegan cheese sauce is usually made with cashews. So it's cashew based. And, um, penny a la norma is traditionally a, um, vegetarian dish. Maybe some people maybe do some bacon or pork in it, uh, as an alternative twist, maybe, I don't know, but, but this one was vegan. And, um, really what that was about is instead of using anchovies, uh, which are traditional, we use dulse or nori flakes um, and miso and um, some kalamata olives to sort of bring the brininess that you would get from um, anchovy. And dulse is, um, it's like a red seaweed. And if you can't find it, that's why we gave nori as an option. Um, so it's just another kind of umami element that you can, can um, find. But I actually put dulse into a smoothie that I make. Uh, and it's, uh, I think I've seen some cooking shows where guys are out foraging for this stuff and they just kind of find it at the beach and they cut it and it looks like big red lettuce leaves. And so you can buy it as a whole leaf, but I've never bought it that way and cut it myself. I just buy the flakes. But, um, but anyway, this is, uh, what I also liked about this dish is, um, the eggplant was roasted first to, so it's salted and then roasted to kind of let it withstand so it doesn't just sog out and it retains some texture and some flavor. Um, this was a this was a favorite of mine actually. And if it didn't have vegan in the name, you wouldn't even think it. You'd just think of it as vegetarian. So if that's off-putting to you, please don't let it be. Um, and if for some reason you don't want to go down the miso um, dulse and um, Kalamata olive uh, route, um, just sub in some, I don't know how much, but sub in a little bit of anchovy paste and make the rest of it and you'll be happy. So my favorite was definitely the mac and cheese. And I think it was <laughs> Teresa and I were in the office that day and was like, Oh, I don't know. I'm just trying this. And we couldn't get enough of it. I'm like, no, this is really good. I'm so like, this was like three to four helpings for <laughs> <laughs> it was so creepy and creepy. and I also want to say that 
I know some people shy away from alternative pastas because they don't actually taste like pasta. But these uh, in particular, and I know there's some others out there too because I've, I've searched them out. These actually taste like pasta. So don't be afraid to try the alternative pastas. Yeah, and they cook up really well too. You really can get an al dente bite, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah. Um, well, oh, yeah. thank you, ladies. Uh, okay, we're going to do a little kitchen <laughs> magic math. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is definitely not vegan. So, <laughs> um, yeah, this is a you know it's purposeful um, making leftovers. Yeah, and making several dishes from the leftovers that that have different characters and. Um, so basically, we'll you that. took a pork shoulder and um, paired it with some potatoes and cauliflower and flavored it up and kind of did a simple roast on that for kind of day one, your Sunday meal, if if you so to speak. And then you took the remnants of that and you very you were very clear too that we're assuming you've got certain amount left over and and if you don't, you kind of you you can't do the the other dishes and that's okay uh but but um and then you turned the pork in, with the mashed cauliflower or the the potatoes and the cauliflower so you mashed that as a side and paired it with shredded so you took the pork and then did a barbecue um sauce with it and served it right over that mash and then whatever um pork you had left over you turned it into a tampa style cubano with lime mojo mayonnaise and um, salami is what differentiates the Tampa style Cubano from the original South Florida Cubano. So it's just adding that in, correct? It's because you still yeah, have ham. Yeah, so yeah. It's just a, the addition with the uh, roast uh, pork. And uh, the thing about the roast pork is that you start the pork, time goes by, you add the potatoes, then um, some more time goes by, and then towards the end there, you're finishing it with the cauliflower. So it's sort of like a sheet pan dinner, but yeah. uh, a little bit more involved, actually. So It's just a timing thing. <laughs> yeah, very much so. But, uh, but it really is nicely detailed, nicely thought out, and I think some very approachable recipes, too. It's not, it's not too fussy, but again, you've got, you've done not even, you know, a heavy, heavy lifting to, to get the roast pork dinner onto the table, but you have that and then um, can kind of fairly easily transform it into a couple of other dishes, which um, yeah, people first, have asked the, for. The main uh, roast pork and potatoes and cauliflower, that's where your heavy lifting is, but it's actually very passive cooking. It's just right. roasting. Right. And then the other two recipes are very quick weeknight recipes. So that works nice. out well. Yeah. Yeah, nicely done. And I'm, I'm working on plans for later on to, on how to do, uh, see in a future issue maybe, I'm looking at making pork cracklings. Oh, fantastic. Um, all right, so our cookbook feature is I Cook, or sorry, no, I Cook in Color, yes, by Aisha Gomez. We had gotten this book in last year, actually, when we were doing our summit, um, and uh, the author did wasn't able to participate, but uh, we had loved the cookbook, and there was just so many good recipes in there. And um, uh, Aisha Gomez, I sh- think she is out of Atlanta, 
she focuses on dishes from around the globe. She, I think, has a catering maybe background. But anyway, um, we chose, uh, fitting for the season, a chili, a stew, if you want to call it a stew, it was braised short ribs, and a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous uh, rainbow shard and pumpkin bean soup. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to say anything more. It was, there were just one, two, three fabulous recipes with a lot of flavor. Delicious. And that was kind of the reasoning behind her cookbook is a lot of it is, you know, being aware of like all the different flavors across the globe and bringing them into your home because it is, you know, it's so easy to do these days with, um, all these different ingredients readily available, whether it's at a specialty market or not. Um, but it does, it makes delicious food and the chili looks like a traditional chili but it has some garam masala and you know different flavors in there that really put a fun spin on the traditional kind of thing that you're used to yeah it gave it that little twist but it was it was delicious Mm -hmm. boy and those ribs oh they look so good they were so tender (laughs) oh my oh my well, and the soup, I think, is just, it's a bowl. Like, talk about I cook in color. That bowl says it all right yeah, there. Yeah, it really sells it. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. Where's? Okay. Let's get to the point of things. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, we did pair- <laughs> pairing knives. Yes. Sorry, Robin. Yeah, what's the point? <laughs> you tickled me. Um, yeah, so uh, John did a lot of uh, uh, whittling. Slicing and dicing. Slicing and dicing and uh, grandma peeling. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, I peeled a lot of oranges. I peeled a lot of apples. Yeah, there's a lot of fruit that uh, got eaten. Um, and, and the point of these is that... Uh, you can buy a high quality paring knife for under $50, hopefully under 25, and you'll still get very, very, some very beautiful pieces, uh, like the, the, the Powden. Sure. That's beautiful. Beautiful wooden handle on it. Yep. It, it shows the grain of the wood. Oh, and it's then there's wood. Just, um, they're really practical ones for like from KitchenAid. So, mm-hmm. And and like I said, Henkel's you can't go wrong. But it's nice that they've got a price point that right pretty much for everyone in this particular style makes well, that and, happen. And John, I really like the approach that you took here, really, where you did take kind of a a, a respectable price range, um, you know, under the twenty five dollar mark. So it's not it's not out of really the reach too much at. Um, and you're not going into the north side of 40 or $65 or maybe even more. Um, so I really like that approach. But I also love, too, that how you mentioned that the inexpensive laser cut knives uh, with the plastic handles, uh, we're not saying they're poor quality at all. We all use them in culinary school. And there was a reason for that, um, as you said, because if it gets dumped in the trash, OK, it's not you're not out a lot of bucks to replace it. And that's the place where you probably want to have a knife like that and and have a nicer $25 knife for under at home. <laughs> so I thought well, you took a nice approach with it. Yeah, at uh, my culinary school, my uh, 
I, I had my paring knife stolen in the last few blocks of class <laughs> until really? I uh, was paired up with another guy and he wasn't thinking twice about it. He's using my knife. I look right <laughs> at it and I, my name is etched on it right here. She <laughs> stole uh, my knife. <laughs> but that's a, that's my one paring knife story, yes. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, they are essential in the kitchen. And so hopefully we've given uh, people some help if they're uh, in the market for one. So for class, this issue, we focused on kind of classic thickening methods, sensibly with flour. And so we went through and uh, describe what a roux is, how you make a roux, kind of the different stages of a roux, what a bourmanier is, so, and then a slurry. And they're all different ways you are going to thicken, basically a stew or something like that. We tell you when you to add it, and uh, so it's just, uh, and then we also note three <laughs> recipes that are on our website that use the three different methods of thickening. Check out uh, cuisineathome.com if you're interested in shrimp etouffee using the roux method, instant pot short ribs for the Bermanier method of thickening, or the chicken noodle stew, which adds a slurry in. Making me hungry. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I don't have anything to eat right now, but I do have a cocktail or two. So uh, if you guys want to, I think you would, Robin, uh, you and Maddie, I think. I think it's Maddie and John. Okay. okay. Yep. There we well, go. I didn't work too hard on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that means they're just tasty. Yeah. Tasty. No, the whole um, reasoning behind the fall sippers were kind of some classics versus maybe some not so classics and um, with the season being fall and our social being about pumpkin and apple we kind of decided well we should try adding a little there so we ha I did a caramel apple cider which this actually um, was inspired because our neighbors um, on our cul-de-sac had the girls come to one of their work events for Halloween. They did kind of like a corporate trick-or-treating kind of thing. And um, their kids are older and grandkids weren't in town. So Hannah and Grace were allowed to go um, tag along. And they had a caramel apple cider there. And I just really loved it and thought, well, that's simple, you know, and easy. And um, so that was kind of my thinking behind that one. And it was, you know, comes together quickly but very flavorful and um, we're using a caramel flavored vodka which really does not taste um, off-putting you know how some um, flavored vodkas sure. or alcohols sure. kind of have just like yes it was very oh, true to a caramel flavor and it was probably one of my favorites well and uh, just a note too I know you said that uh, there's one apple and one pumpkin in here the other kind of thing you also did was you did two warm and two uh cold beverages also sort of a bridge season both the pumpkin and the apple are both the warm libations yes and you know so like we mentioned mm -hmm. earlier about you know some people go crazy for a pumpkin latte you know uh -huh. at starbucks and stuff but we're showing you how to make a pumpkin latte at home and what better booze to add to it than rum chata. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not normally a big pumpkin latte kind of person, but I did like this one. So uh -huh. this one was pretty tasty. <laughs> and then well, I also did a beer mosa, which, you know, is kind of, you know, a tailgate seasoning maybe happening. We're not quite mm -hmm. sure uh, what's going to happen this year, but this is kind of <laughs> something 
that'll be good for even if you're at home and it's simple. It's just, we use two um, blue moons, like a citrus wheat kind of beer, and then a little champagne, some in orange juice and add it all together. And it was very kind of light and refreshing. I was going to say it's very sippable. It really is a very yeah. sippable cocktail. This was um, a real eye opener for me. I never would have thunk to put uh -huh. beer and champagne together. <laughs> it was very refreshing. Me neither. And so I thought it was kind of interesting and fun. And if you are at a tailgate or a home gate kind of thing, you just kind of dump it all together and it's easy and good yeah, to go. It's always refreshing. It's all shandy like and it's a little yeah. touch of citrus there. And then uh, the Highland Milk Punch, that's kind of a cross pollination of, I can't remember, there's some literary character that that uh, drinks scotch and milk. And so I thought that was always really bizarre until I tried it and I found out that was really good. I think my I, grandfather used to. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I it's an old school thing. And I guess I'm old. Um, <laughs> then <laughs> the other thing is- He was that, older uh, than you, John. <laughs> Down at uh, Commander's Palace, that's one of their favorite or one of their ah. highlights is milk punch and it's okay. bourbon punch. So this kind of an amalgam of uh, all of that together. And so it, and it, again, it's uh, pretty much a cocktail. So Well, and I think uh, if memory serves me, uh, you were not in the office. I think Teresa and Maddie and I were there and we uh, assembled one of these and it was a little... Um, to a sort of on the drambui for us, I think. And I think so right. we added uh, Kahlua and we're all of a sudden <laughs> we changed our tunes. It was just yeah. right. <laughs> just right. That's right. Yeah, Even no, more booze. I, I knew it was missing something <laughs> and you guys figured it out. So, yeah. Yep. It was fantastic. Well, um, it kind of had to play on like a white Russian to me. Kind yeah, of. exactly. Oh, right. It was yeah, sort of a marriage true. of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then um, we featured in our All About Walnuts. Uh, Maddie, anything you want to, I know this heart healthy nut. <laughs> yeah. You know, it has some good information um, all over kind of, um, you know, you're going to learn about some nutrition, storing and toasting and. Which is um, good to know for some of the recipes that follow the toasting method. Exactly. Um, and how it does really make a difference in flavor in a recipe yeah. versus, you know, eating them raw. Well, and also someone that we used to work with did the pan toasting method a lot, which is where you put, and if you're only doing a few nuts and you, maybe it's summer and you don't want it to turn on your oven. Okay. I'm okay in those situations, very minimally to pan toast nuts, but they don't toast up as consistently and you really have to watch them, I think, much more than you do. Now, nuts will burn pretty quickly, as will bread or whatever when you put it in the oven. But they tell you when they're ready. And just set a timer. And I think putting them on a sheet tray, pan, baking sheet, and then put it in the oven is the best method. You know, toss them maybe once or something like that. And uh, just keep an eye on them. But, um, and then I always do more than I need and keep them in the freezer yeah. so that I have toasted Absolutely. nuts. Mm -hmm. And they're beautifully toasted. They're they're uniform, much right. more so than pan. Yes. Um, I, yeah. Yep. Where you got to constantly be stirring or tossing, and then it's like, oh, is my pan too hot? And exactly. <laughs> like, what's the right temp? Yeah, exactly. Mine are usually a little bit burned on one side. And <laughs> yeah. On the yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
And then we use those uh, heart healthy walnuts in four recipes and our one in four, one ingredient, four ways. And um, this was one that we um, came across, Maddie, you did this and they were, these meatballs were so good. Um, and it was a very, it was unexpected. And um, uh, anything you want to add or talk or? Sure. Yeah. No, this I was a little skeptical on. I liked the idea of doing a walnut meatball stroganoff. And mm -hmm. so the walnuts are actually in the meatballs and in the sauce, which I liked for, especially with it being all about, you know, walnuts, we like yeah. to try to make it, you know, very forward on the ingredient. Um, so I wasn't sure how the texture and stuff would turn out, but they actually had great flavor. And even the sauce was very well, you know, it didn't, yes. wasn't off putting and, um, I'm sorry, Teresa, it was brown, but <laughs> it sure was tasty and you made it work. <laughs> yes. Well, and I also love the tip here too, when grinding walnuts, how to, it's best to pulse them in a food processor just until fine, but you want to keep an eye on uh, nuts when you pulse them because they can turn into butter, paste, whatever, pretty quickly. So it's kind of like when you're toasting nuts, it's one of those things you just don't hit the button and walk away. Because you'll come back and you'll need to, to start all over again. <laughs> and then I did uh, the Korean spiced walnuts. I went through many iterations of either using gochugaru or gochujang. And most people know gochujang, which is the paste. Um, gochugaru is the flakes. Uh, so they're red um, chili flakes. Um, it's a Korean ingredient. I tested them with a lot of different things and I was trying to balance the right sweet um, saltiness in this and I didn't want them to be all umami and so I did want to get some of that in but then um, I didn't want it to take over on the sweetness and um, for me adding a little bit of Worcestershire sauce did it um, and um, and then there in addition to the walnuts there's some apricots and cherries too that have some natural sweetness to it. Um, this was a fun one, the baklava chartlets. Yeah, I mean, so that was kind of one thing that uh, one in four, typically we try to keep our recipes not too long because, you know, we're trying to get four recipes in here. So baklava is a classic kind of way to use walnuts and stuff. And so uh, this was kind of a easy way to get a little taste of baklava and simpler, but it still had great flavor and kind of the same kind of process. Um, but I did. I enjoyed these. I actually made these um, in between. We are having we have these um, all hands kind of meeting a company wide meeting. And so like I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be, lit, you know, so it was easy to whip up before it and enjoy it while, you know, listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the walnut apple tort. I did many iterations on this and I was struggling a little bit because I was trying to, I think, use some whole wheat flour in the beginning along with the walnuts and it was really dense. I don't remember some of the other issues I had, but, but I went through several iterations of it. Um, and I can't remember Maddie. I don't know if you were in my kitchen when I was assembling it one day and, and I was, I don't, I, I originally did not even envision the, the top the of flour. it looking like a sunflower. Yes. 
I think I was putting the apples in and I think your suggestion was put the walnuts right in the center. And I'm like, oh, duh, yes. Put the walnuts in the center. And so there's walnuts ground up with some sugar, uh, which does help actually when you're grinding them to not turn into a paste when you have a little bit of texture in there. And then there's some flour. So, but the walnuts, uh, it's like walnut flour. So there's a mix of AP um, flour and the wal ground walnuts, which is walnut flour, as the, the kind of the base. And then there's more walnuts, as you can see, on top. It turned out much better or um, exactly where I wanted it to be, but I did struggle a little bit in the development phase. Well, besides being delicious, this is a real showstopper to bring to the table. It is yeah. gorgeous yeah. looking. It is fun. I think it says fall, too, which is really nice. Because mm -hmm. I think how it started, Pam, you were trying to figure out how to put your apples, but it was always working out with your center open. And I was just like, we'll put some walnuts in there. It looks like a flower then. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and I happen to love sunflowers. So. Exactly. exactly. No, I thought yeah. it turned out lovely. I did like this one a lot. Uh, okay. Robin, you were on the fast fall meals here and you, and this was our... It includes our cover image, too. You've got a pasta, a hash, and two soups, or you could argue one's a chili or a stoop or a soup, but... <laughs> but yes, something like that, but it's quick to put together. Um, so, yeah, the pasta um, has a little bite to it. It's got shrimp and pasta. It's pretty quick to put together. Um, well, faster with fewer. You know, it's not going to have a lot of ingredients, and it's got to be quick, so there right. you have it. Good whole lot of flavor quick <laughs> right there's a little bite to it um kind of builds as you eat it so it's pretty um, image yeah so because it does have you know the cajun seasoning it's on the shrimp um and it's in the in the, in the cream sauce so if you don't like that much just back it off a little bit um i liked it and i don't like hot food so hopefully people enjoy it as well um so there's that one and then there's the um the hash with the chicken sausage. I kind of like the chicken sausage. I oh, yeah. Nice change from, you know, your kielbasa or something like that. So it's kind of fun to use. And the apples, of course, is just a, a good fall pairing there. I've already told you I was an apple girl. Well, <laughs> when, to me, when I look at this, it almost feels like if it wasn't the chicken sausage, it would be a, like a pork chop or something because all of that goes. And so that you put the chicken sausage in, it's just sort of because all of that stuff is perfect mm -hmm. with like pork. But anyway, I love chicken sausage and yep, this was a favorite of mine. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, then it's got the Brussels sprouts and you can either, you know, slice those with a knife or, or on your mandolin if you want to just do it, make it real quick too. So mm -hmm. uh, quick and easy there and all in your iron skillet and, uh, and booyah, there you are. You've got dinner on the table in 30 minutes. <laughs> And flavorful. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there you go. And so then we've got, um, well, we, we're going to call it a soup, I guess, or a stew. Like you say, the uh, the chicken and the white bean with a little southwestern flair to it. Um, well, I love cannellini beans and I love chicken. And so it had some of my favorite uh, things in there, a little bit of chipotle with the adobo sauce to bump up that little you know, Tex-Mex. Sure. Little smoky, little heat. Little and the poblanos. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, and then just to bring it home, you've got some cilantro and lime, which just right. really. Right. Bring it back around. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's a kind of a hearty soup, 
but not uh, not too heavy, but mm-hmm. filling. It's a filling soup for sure. you. Sure. And it makes quite a bit. So if you want some leftovers, if you've got a smaller family, you'll have a little bit for leftovers, and it saves well. So yeah. you're good there. It makes about 12 cups or six serving. <clears throat> so, and then last, but hopefully not least, is sweet potato and cauliflower soup. Kind of a, I don't know, something that maybe we don't think about putting together very often in a sweet potato and cauliflower. And I went with coconut milk in this one and orange juice. So it's got a little bit of a, you know, a different flavor there. So, yeah, this is a vegetarian soup because you're using veg broth, too. So, uh, absolutely. And I guess it's vegan, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, there you go. And I didn't set out to make it vegan, but sometimes no. it just works out that way. So it works out nicely. And I pureed it, you know, in, in batches because I wanted it to, I wanted that smooth um, creaminess there. And that's what I ended up with. Mm-hmm. I saw this for the first time. It's one of the foibles of working from home is I never saw this in the TK and I never really, but I saw it knocked up for cover and I wasn't sure, you know, maybe I need better glasses or something. And I'm sure uh, Robin was baffled when I told her, I love the food styling you did on that lobster bisque. (laughs) 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 She must've been puzzled for a while, but she didn't correct me, which was very nice. So. Yeah, thanks. So I did do something with lobster, but not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> well, and I also love, there's a note here on the recipe too, to get the soup topper there, you just kind of toss, I would I would add a few more. I wouldn't take from the recipe, but just add a few um, cauliflower and sweet potato chunks, toss a few with some oil, um, just to coat, and then season with salt and pepper, and then roast in a 425 425 degree uh, preheated oven until they're crisp tender and beginning to brown. So that's a nice little topper for the soup. And um, yes, as I mentioned before, that is the cover image. And this one, let's. It has all the colors and tones and flavors of fall. It just went beautifully for the cover. Yes. So thank you to Maddie for, for jumping in on this one for me. I appreciated that. And it turned out beautiful. Yes, it's yeah, it's pretty, very pretty, mm-hmm. all Some, around. It's, it's no, easy to food style something that's already pretty. So, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> this is the one where we met halfway. I think, wasn't it, Maddie? Oh, exactly. Yep, I picked up the groceries off the interstate, and you went back home with your migraine, and I, she, she I traveled mean, back. She in. doesn't mean literally off the interstate like the they interstate. fell. <laughs> they, they, they met and they did a handoff. You never know. (laughs) You weren't there. That is true. That's true. (laughs) So, okay, we safely met at McDonald's, and I was tempted to get a breakfast burrito, but I said, no, I got to get in. (laughs) Our west, I live east, so we are opposite as you can get on two people on the staff. And so we we kind of met in about the middle, I think. But bless her heart, she stepped in for me that day and made a beautiful image, and I surely did appreciate it. <laughs> so that's what we do. We we work together, don't we? We meet in the middle. There you go. Yeah. Love it. So for our Ask the Editors, John was doing a um, uh, the 
the cocktail, um, the Highland Punch, and we had gotten a question about Drambuie. And um, I remember growing up and have my parents having it because a friend of theirs was a scotch drinker. And it, um, and that was his preferred after dinner drink was Drambuie because it's so. I wasn't a hundred percent sure exactly what it was, but so, um, Drambuie is a Scotch based liqueur and its name derives from Gaelic, meaning the drink that's satisfied. And it supposedly comes from Bonnie Prince Charlie. If any Outlander fans out there, you know who we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Bonnie Prince Charlie, he shared his secret recipe for his personal liqueur to thank the clan that helped him escape the British Isles after the defeat of the Battle of Culloden in 1746. Again, if you're an outlander, <laughs> you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Um, but anyway, so that's just a little bit of history on um, what Drambuie is. Um, and then we did a Tell Me More on Miso. Um, and that's actually because Muriel Kronig um, out of Berlin, Wisconsin, she is a reader and she writes in often asking many culinary questions, um, offering tips and a variety of other things. John and Robin know her very well. I have gotten um, several uh, letters from her as well. And she asked about miso. So we did a, a tell me more about miso to answer that. And she also then asked about what is cauliflower rice. And uh, she wanted to know whether she could buy it in a package or it's something that she can make. And so we explain all about that. And um, I do want to do a little bit of um, cleanup. There was a typo in two places about the cardamom pods. You know, recipes call always call for crushing cardamom pods. And why is that? And so we explained that to really release the flavor, there's little tiny seeds inside that you have to really kind of expose to get the flavor out. And so you crush the pods. And people potentially will use a spice grinder or a mortar and pestle, not a mortal <laughs> pestle. And so we, and then we also in the Digno. So it is spelled correctly in two places and misspelled in one place. And this was missed <laughs> by our proofreader um, and by our editor, myself. Um, spell check would not have caught this because it is uh, it, an actual word. But when you're reading a lot of <clears throat> documents and pages, your mind sometimes fills in. And obviously this was missed by, uh, by us. So it is a more, we understand it is, it's human error. And that is, that is the reality to of it. To be mortal. To be mortal, <laughs> correct. Uh, and uh, we are using a mortar and pestle to crush the cardamom pods. And, um, and then when we explain all about mortar and pestle and where they come from, it is misspelled once in that, but it is properly spelled twice in that same section. So there you go. <laughs> we know it's wrong and we apologize. We apologize. The good ones for twice. Yes. Um, uh, just a footnote on the Drambuie. Yes. Uh, uh, most liqueurs are about 40 proof, about 20% alcohol by volume. Drambuie is 80 proof. So yeah, it's not it's something up there. that you just, really? you know, don't do shots of it. I think, that's why we needed, I think that's why we needed to add in the Kahlua, more booze, but it just toned down the sort of <laughs> right. w- harsh whiskiness of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we kind of gave a little prelude to this earlier. There is a chocolate pumpkin mousse cake with chocolate ganache. 
And Robin, this was your baby that you created and love for you to share anything you care to about it. Um, it took me a while to get where I wanted to be, but then I was happy at the end. How about that? Long story short. <laughs> okay. So you made a, so you started with making a cake, correct? A right. chocolate genoise. And that is basically leavened with the egg. And so we do have a step shot in there to show people what you need to look for. Um, how do you know when it's beat long, when they have been beat long enough? And yeah, I think that's a very good visual tip you got there. Um, and so when you see that, then, you know, right, they're at that point where I need it to be. Because, again, it doesn't have any, it, that's what it's relying on to, uh, for your leavener in this cake. And that's and, what the ribbon stage is that everybody talks about. Right. Exactly. Um, so we try and explain that for you and show you and how to fold it in. The only other tip, and we talk about that too, um, is there's melted butter in the cake. And so you want to take some of your batter and mix it into that melted butter and then add that back into the, to the rest, the rest of the bowl of batter. Because if you just tried to put that melted butter and by the time you've got that incorporated in the whole, you'd lose your volume. You would lose your volume. So you you mix it into a little and then add it to the to the whole bowl full. Um, so there's a couple of little spots yeah, on that. No, that's that's a good classic um, uh, tip when you're when you're folding anything that you kind of trying to keep volume. You want to um, either temper in some cases or sort of lighten that load before you start folding it in, or you defeated the purpose of all the whipping that you just did. <laughs> So, well, you know, I wanted I wanted to make a a, a for a long time because um, I watched the British Baking Show and they talk about it. I'm like, what uh -huh. is this ever made? Um, and so I tried it, and it, it took me a couple of times before I could, uh, you know, get it where I wanted. And I was really happy with it in the end. Um, at one point, I was making this when I was on vacation out at my parents' house, and um, I'm like, this is just not working. I'll just scrap this. I'll go to my regular chocolate cake that I know always works. Um, and it just wasn't the right texture. It was, um, it's a beautiful chocolate cake, but it just wasn't working for this. So I'm like, no, I need something that has this texture to just stand up and do what I wanted. So in the end, I was really pleased with where it, it ended, but just to tell people that sometimes it just, it takes a little bit to get around that block. <laughs> well, yeah. And we do the heavy lifting and the, make the the faux pas are in our own kitchen so that somebody at home um, right. doesn't have to. But it was, it was kind of crumbly. And so I was just going to, I was so frustrated. I was going to throw it away. And my dad goes, whoa, 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 what are you doing there? And I said, yeah. it doesn't throw it away. Cause oh, no, 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 we don't, we don't, we don't throw cake away here. Not chocolate cake. So <laughs> we have crumbly chocolate cake on top of homemade ice cream. So there you go. <laughs> A bad quote unquote cake uh, was still, to, to yes. use. When in doubt, make a trifle. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <clears throat> well, and then you did the pumpkin mousse part. Um, and one of the things you do is um, you're using gelatin as um, your thickener and your to gel right. it together, to hold it together. And you do talk about how to soften and dissolve the gelatin in a step shot there. Right, right. Because you want to do that, you know, you want it to set. Um, but I had the best luck to do it, to add that gelatin to the mixture off heat. Um, so mm -hmm. it just doesn't get little, 
ugly gelatin bits in there. Just a little tip that worked well for me. And so I'm hoping that it, it helps our readers as well. Um, once I started doing that, it, it just worked out so much better. So I'm just passing that along. Um, and then it wasn't a problem at all. And it had a nice smooth mousse. Yeah, so it was my, delicious. And so there's really, I mean, there's just a couple of little tips there, which we pointed out. And it's not a hard, it's not a hard dessert. It's not a difficult dessert. If you've got a couple of tips there to keep in mind. Um, and gosh, we, I think we all enjoyed it. Yeah. And well, and, and like you said, it's not a hard dessert. There's just a, like, there's kind of two main components. There's the cake component and then there's the mousse component. And then you can add in a little bit of ganache, but that's not really, but uh, yeah. And it really makes for a, I think um, a festive cake, perfect for the season. Um, I, I, I mean, I think, you know, people definitely think of um, pumpkin desserts for fall, but this, uh, to me, I think somebody would flag this as a potential for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Mm -hmm. Yes, especially I, so. I know Teresa well because she likes the uh, <laughs> like pumpkin. The what was it? I like the chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Robin, would you say that um, either of these recipes could be standalone recipes? The cake is not a real moist cake. It's a little bit of a dry cake. So you would want to put a syrup on there if you were, you know, uh, like a Have simple the ganache on it or something. Yeah. Right. You would want something on there. Um, or ice cream. <laughs> or ice cream. Ooh. Well, right. there you go. Right. Just, just a thought. This question right. came up. So. It's but a the little... pumpkin mousse. Right. I yeah. love it with the mousse on there. Um, I had thought about putting a... Uh, you know, a simple syrup on there at one point, um, but it doesn't really need it with the mousse. But if it was a standalone cake, I probably would because a Genoa is not as, it's not as moist a cake as um, other recipes. Well, so, and that's pretty classic. You want to put a, some sort of a flavored, maybe a flavored simple syrup brushed on. And that's pretty classic with a Genoa's um, a, a syrup of some sort for flavoring and for moisture. Right. Um, but yeah, but the, so then the pumpkin mousse part, um, could just be, I bet you could serve that or I'm just looking to see. I think you could um, do it itself. Put a little chocolate oh, shavings like in on little top ramekins of that bad or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. You, you sure could. And that's not to take away the fact that is beautiful combination of flavors, the pumpkin yes. and chocolate. Yes. So. Yes. You'd be missing out if you were to do them separately. Correct. Right. But right. it is, it's a beautiful imagery and I love the colors and um, the dark background. It's just really um, evokes kind of the Halloween feel to it a bit, but yeah. uh, a little drama. Yes. Yeah. I, I like what you did with that, Teresa. I really do. I love that. Yeah. So, so. Uh, well, and then we have our visual index and our back cover, which we had noted before with the Jose Andreas quote. So um, that takes us to the end of the issue. I hope that you all have gotten it in your mailboxes and uh, that you're diving in. We have heard from some readers that they are very pleased with um, the recipes and um, uh, that they are don't, don't do not know where to start that there's such good uh, stuff here for fall i would say uh start whatever wherever you uh feel um i'd say maybe the tomatoes since it is tomato season 
that's about all I've got. Uh, so thanks for joining us here today. I hope we've inspired you to cook with us and uh, sit around the table with those you love and uh, come back next time when there will be more must love food. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Visit our site to learn about special offers, new products, and more for purchase. We offer live cooking seminars from pasta making and cast iron cooking to pie baking and stir frying techniques. Our special interest publications feature recipes centered around certain topics like feel-good food and slow cooker dinners. We also offer custom Cuisine at Home branded kitchen tools such as aprons, cutting boards, and bench knives. Shop all of our offerings at CuisineAtHome.com. <laughs>